I want to share with you one of my favorite passages out of the New Testament. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 8. It's verse 18. And it's one that's easy enough to remember after you've heard it a couple of times. Paul writes this. Do not be filled with wine, which leads to much debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'll say it again. Do not be filled with wine, or, or some translations, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I kind of like it because it's like we all want to be filled with something. We all want to be filled with spirits, right? Take your pick. But it's true, right? Because that's what he's saying. You're getting the pun. We all want to be filled with spirits because we all want to be filled with something. It was Blaise Pascal who's quoted as saying that all of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart and the human experience is people rushing to fill that hole, but it can't be filled with anything except God. We all have got that hole. We all have got that empty place. We've all got that sense of desire to feel filled with something. And Paul hits it on the head. Guys, we can search after all these things. Don't be filled with wine. It's the wrong kind of spirit. And you can substitute about 40 other things that we seek to fill ourselves with as well, can't we? No, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something else I like about this, this contrast that he sets up. Because we've seen people drunk on wine or spirits of various kinds. You ever see someone drunk on spirits? All right, have you ever been drunk on spirits? All right, yeah, you're not going to raise your hand as quickly on that. You're a brave one, thank you. All right, we've, we've, got a, we've got a true sinner in the house who's willing to confess before God and you will be justified unlike anyone else because you've, right? All right, 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 you know, we've seen it. I wonder if being filled with the Holy Spirit is sometimes like that. And I don't mean an angry drunk. I don't mean a surly drunk. I don't mean a violent drunk. But an emboldened lack of inhibition. Joy. Laughter. Who doesn't want to be filled with things like these? And how many of us who don't experience these things often, if at all, go running after things to try to manifest that in our lives? And Paul says, don't be filled. Don't get drunk on these kinds of spirits. Those kinds of spirits don't last. They cannot endure, and they often lead to a path of greater destruction than hope. No, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it begs the question, how? How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? You're telling me to do it. Okay, how do I go about doing it? And where do I find him? And how do I access him? And how do I know if it's actually the Spirit of God that I'm experiencing as opposed to just being hopped up on something, even if it's my own emotional self? Let me give some examples today. And maybe you can identify with some of these in your own context and ways. I'll start personal. I'm doing this job because I felt like God told me to. 
I felt like God literally told me, become a pastor. And I didn't want to hear those words. And I chose to do it because I couldn't shake that kind of inner conviction, or dare I say, feeling. And it led me to alter the course of my entire life as a result. But how do I know that was actually God speaking? You know, how do I know it was actually him and not just my own internal sense of angst? My own misgivings my own questioning about my future and the way that it interplays with trying to find direction. Have you ever been in similar places like that going, Lord, is it you speaking? Some of you know this. I have a call to California. I'm supposed to discern what the Spirit is saying. How do I know? How do I sift through, well, should I go, but I really just want to go because it would be great to live in the beach in the mountains? Do I stay? But is that really because I just really like where I'm serving and my family and friends are here and life is great? How do you discern those kinds of things? How do you sift through what's your own emotion, your own desires, as opposed to God's will? My son shared with you recently that he felt called into ministry. He felt called into ministry specifically because of a Boulder mission trip where they were doing listening prayer. Right now we have students who are probably at this moment doing listening prayers, which means they go out into the woods alone and they just go, God speak, and they just try to listen. You ever try it? What thoughts rush through your mind? What things are laid on your heart? How do I know if that's God? How do I know if it's not just me, I'm painting the picture adequately enough, aren't I? I'll hear people come here to worship quite often, saying things like, wow, I just felt the Spirit move today. Conversely, occasionally, I'll hear people say the opposite, going, I just didn't feel the Spirit today. Does the former mean that he was actually there or that the band was just on their game and they liked the key of the music? Does the latter mean he wasn't there? Or that maybe they were just in the wrong headspace? Let me read an email I even received this past week. I'll abbreviate, thank you for your encouragement to follow through on our visit. Your sermon topic not only spoke about the Holy Spirit, but we also felt the Spirit present in the music, message, fellowship, and prayers. What a wonderful experience the day was. What a wonderful email to receive, honestly. And if you're listening, I thank you for that. The encouragement that comes through that, it's heartfelt and it's meaningful, and I thank you for that. But I want to use it as a point of challenge. It's this line. We also felt the Spirit present. Maybe, or to repeat what I said just a moment ago, maybe you just liked the synchronous action of music and sounds and message that did something for you personally. You follow what I mean? Back in the day, I heard of this one group. Some of you have heard me speak of this before. 
that were so concerned with following the Spirit of God in their life, of being so obedient to his call and not wanting to ever risk diverting from his path, that they would not act in even the most simple of ways unless they were convinced that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do something. Case in point, they would run out of groceries, they would need eggs, they would need milk. They would not go to the store until they prayed and sought to discern whether the Holy Spirit was leading them to go to the store and buy milk, milk or eggs. Because what if he didn't want me to go at this moment, but rather wanted me to go 20 minutes or a day later because God was orchestrating something through that series of events where I would meet the right person at the right time and bring blessing into their life that I would miss if I did not take the time to follow the Spirit of God now. Now, honestly, let me ask. I think there's something in this that we sense that we actually want. I think in some sense we want the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life. Agreed. And yet simultaneously, as I even share that final story, don't we sense a certain kind of danger the questions arise, how do I know if it is the Spirit in my life? How do I know if it's just me? Now, to be clear, the Spirit of God convicts, guides, comforts, leads, and speaks. But it seems that the real trick, and if I can use that kind of language, the real trick for the Christian, for the Christian is discerning when it is the Spirit or when it's arguably something else. Maybe just me. I want to talk to you about that today. Now, in the Bible, written both in Hebrew and Greek, I want to give you the word for spirit. Now, in Hebrew, the word for spirit looks like this, all right? It's pronounced ruach. Got to get in the back of the throat, okay? Ruach. Give me a ruach. ruach. What's very interesting, it's fun to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, good curse word too. It is. What's fascinating about this word ruach is it translates the word spirit. So when we talk about the spirit of God, if I was to be Hebrew about this, the ruach, Ruach Elohim, the Ruach of God, all right? The, the Ruach of Yahweh, all right? But it is also the exact same word for wind and breath. So when you breathe, I could talk about how you Ruach, you inhale and exhale, that's Ruach. It almost becomes simultaneously with like what we think of as like, you know, not oxygen and all that kind of stuff that fills our, our lungs and our bodies. And likewise, I went outside today and I wanted to fly a kite, but there was no ruach. You know what I mean? The wind wasn't there. So it's not just a spiritual term, if I can put it that way, but also is used to describe these very normal human creation phenomena. Now, the Greek word is equally interesting to me. It's pronounced pneuma. Give me a pneuma. It's not panuma, right? It's pneuma. 
And maybe even now you're seeing in that root things like pneumatic. If something is pneumatically powered, it's like air powered. Maybe you're seeing in there something like pneumonia, right? What is pneumonia? It is an ailment or affliction of your pneumon, which is Latin for lung, or of your air, right? Your breathing. Ruach and pneuma, they get used the same way in both testaments, even though different languages, spirit to be sure, but also breath, also air, also wind. Interesting puns you'll see in the Bible that get played on this. I think of Genesis chapter 2 when God makes the man and he forms him from the dust of the ground. And what does he do? He, he ruachs, he breathes into his nostrils and the man becomes a living being. You can start to see the play on the word there. But I think there's something suggestive in the fact that spirit is the same word as breath and air. Not that they're the same thing, but that there's a certain commonality where one can help inform the other. And this is where I want to take you to a teaching of Jesus. It's in John chapter 3. And he's meeting in the night with a, with, with a religious leader, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the pneuma. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but pneuma gives birth to pneuma. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell wherever it's coming or going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. You following? Are you following? When is he talking about wind and air? When is he talking about spirit here? John loves these kinds of puns. He has them all over the place and these multi-layered kinds of things that you have to sort. But he's saying fundamentally, Jesus is saying that we cannot be spiritually alive without the spirit of God. We can be physically alive, but not spiritually. Okay, great. But there's something else tucked in this passage that I find fascinating about how the spirit seems to operate. Jesus compares him to the wind. It blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. You don't know when it's going to pop up, right? You don't fully know where he's going to take you, right? You don't really even see him himself. Except in the rarest of occasions, you don't really see your breath. You don't really see the wind. Rather, you see its effect. You feel its effect. Are you with me? And so it is with the Spirit. So often we don't see the Spirit. You won't see the Spirit. How do you judge the Spirit? 
One of the most common ways the Bible plays this out is that you recognize him by the impact he makes, or rather, by his, by his effect. Jesus will put it this way. He's warning his disciples, all of us really. He says, watch out for false prophets. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Watch out for them. They'll come saying all these amazing things and doing miracles in my name. Jesus will even go on to say, on the last day, he'll look at them and say, depart from me, you evildoers. And they go, Lord, didn't we do these things in my name? And he'll say, I never knew you. But he gives them guidance how to recognize them. And you know what he says? You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by what they produce. You will know the Spirit by what the Spirit produces. Paul will play on this. And let me show you how he puts it. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. A, you have both natures. You have a sinful nature. It's as natural as the physical being that you embody. But if you are in Christ, you also have a spiritual nature where the Spirit of God has made you alive. And these two natures, which, which take hold of you, put you in conflict with yourself. Do you ever feel in conflict with yourself? Want to equal and opposite things at the exact same time? Welcome to the human experience. They are in conflict. But if you are led by the Spirit, he says, you are not under the law. What do I do? If you have the Spirit, you're asking the wrong question. And he goes on. And he lists all these kinds of things that exemplify what the sinful nature looks like. Idolatry and sexual immorality and debauchery and greed and witchcraft and orgies and hatred and dissension and factioning and envy. And he says, I tell you, those who live in this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he jumps on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its sinful passions and desires. So we live by the Spirit, and since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Are you looking for the Spirit of God in your life? You will recognize Him by the fruit. What produces love and demonstrates love? What propagates joy? What's manifest by peace and gentleness and kindness? Where do you see self-control? How is patience playing in to the equation? 
These are manifest evidence of the Spirit at work. And he says, recognize it by this fruit. Not a comprehensive list to be sure. There's more that we can add. But Paul's just kind of laying them out. If you're seeking the Spirit's will, the Spirit's way, then seek these things. Follow what produces these things. Choose that which manifests what Paul says is the evident manifestation of the Spirit of God. Make sense? And I want to talk to you about how to find that. I invite someone to come up here today to help take me through this. His name is uh, Kyle Mai, and uh, Kyle's a duck hunter. Um, he's going to talk to us about duck hunting today. All right, Kyle, where are you at? Come on up, brother. Give Kyle a hand, would you? Here you go. All right, you got your necklace. Lanyard. Yeah, you're, um, excuse me, your lanyard. All right, forgive. All right, so we're going to talk some duck hunting here today. And you know, off the bat, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a picture here up on the screen because ah, I'm going the wrong way. There we go. Oh, we'll find it. There we go. All right. There it is. So you, you took this, what, last week? Last weekend, yes. And you were actually out this morning? I was out this morning. Okay, same place? No, not same place. That was up in uh, Chatek, Wisconsin. This okay. morning I was in Delavan. And you got a duck, right? I got a gadwall duck, yes. And, you know, and, and Kyle and I were having a, a debate here this morning because you know, the duck's actually in his car right now um, out in the parking lot. And we were just like really debating, like, like should we bring the duck in and like show it to people? Like, like who would want to see the duck? Who would want to see the duck? Who would have like thrown up in their seat? I'm curious on the other side. All right, so, so I don't know. We got a mixed poll there on that. But, uh, but, but talk to me about this picture that we're seeing here. You said this is uh, Shattuck, Wisconsin. Am yes. I saying that uh, correct? Shattuck, Wisconsin. That's what I like to call magic hour. Golden hour, magic hour. That's when everything starts waking up. Okay, that's when everything starts waking up. So about what time are we looking at here? Uh, about 6 o'clock, 6.15. Okay, so in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. Yes. So this is sunrise that we're looking at, yes. not sunset. And it yes. looks like you're in a, in a bunch of weeds here. Yes, in, okay. a, in a duck boat with the blind covering us. And those, in fact, are? Those are decoys. Those are, oh, those are decoys. Those are just decoys to attract, to say, hey, there's food here. This is a safe place. You can come be with me. That's a dirty trick, man. That's what they're saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's what they're saying. Oh, all right. Push it on the decoy, yes. man. Push yes. the blame there. All right. All right. And, uh, and, and I take it that your, your lanyard yes. is, uh, um, you, you know, also something that helps you attract yes. the ducks? Uh, I got a duck call and a goose call and my remote for my motion decoys, which look more like ducks than just the still ducks. So, like, they, like, move around like drones or something like that? Or uh, like... Their wings spin to make it look like they're landing. You've got a lot of dirty tricks out <laughs> yes, there. Yes, we do. All right. Yes, we do. All right, so, so demonstrate for us this morning the difference between a duck call and a goose call because, I mean, the, the world is dying to know. Uh, a, a duck call. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a duck. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. All right. I can see why you got one. A goose. <laughs> 
So clearly, yeah, different languages. They don't, they don't speak the same no, language. No, they, they right. do not speak the same. Ducks like geese. Geese don't like ducks. Okay, ducks like geese. Geese don't like ducks. It ducks. sounds like a lot of guys I know with women. Ducks, yeah. feel, ducks feel safe with geese. Okay. Geese could care less about ducks. Yeah, all right. Yes. All right. So talk to me about this. So, so you, uh, hunting season has been open for a couple of weeks now, yes. I believe, and it's going to extend for several weeks yet to come. And, and several pretty, months. Several months. Yes. Okay, and you're pretty avid. It's like an every Sorry. weekend kind of thing. Sorry, love. To see your family again yes. in, a, in a year. All right. Um, is this typical of a spot that you go to? In Wisconsin, yes. Down here in Illinois, I do a lot of fields, cornfields, soybean fields, wheat fields, alfalfa. Okay. Yes. So there's different kinds of locales, but it yes. seems like it's either you're on a lake, you're in a boat, or you're in a blind, yes. or, or you're in some marsh somewhere waiting. No, this morning we were in the marsh. And it's in a field. Yes. Why, why do you go to those kinds of places? It all depends on really, well, you do a lot of scouting. Friday nights are a lot of driving around. My, my wife knows, uh, looking to see where their birds are going. Um, a lot of it is just, it's in the bird's blood to migrate. They have what's called uh, flyways. So we're in the Mississippi flyway. Okay. So we're just so far off the Mississippi River. And it's just in their blood. They go to these same places every year. Okay. And then when they see food, they get food. When they don't want to eat, then they stay on the water because the water's safe. They can't get eaten by coyote in the water. Yeah, they water's get, safe. Right. <laughs> water's safe. <laughs> That's what they think. <laughs> um, <laughs> But a lot of it's just in their blood. They, I've been hunting some fields for four or five years, and, that's, and we get the same. It's always filled with geese. They know that either corn or soybeans is going to be there, and that's where they go. Okay, so how far, for example, it, it seems like a lot of work, honestly. Yes. Like you're scouting these fields. You're going around. You're finding yes. the right places. This lake, how, like how many hours drive is this or, or uh, this miles was is six, this? This was six hours north, right by Chippewa Falls. So, so that's a little bit of a commitment there. I, yes. I mean, yes, was, I know there three, are similar lakes, maybe closer. Yes. Maybe you like this one. But, but nonetheless, uh, let me ask you this. How, how come you're just not doing this in your backyard? Uh, unless I'm in Montana or somewhere where I can do it, it's illegal, first of all. Okay, so that's, that's a problem. Uh, yeah. Second of all, one of the best things about it, other than getting meat and eating the meat that you harvested yourself, is being out there with your buddies. Before all this happens, we get there, this morning we were there at 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Super early. It's wrong, man. It is. It is. Um, we got everything set up, because you want to be set up before the birds come, so they don't see you out there moving around. We got everything set up, and then for about an hour and a half, we just sat the four of us, five of us, underneath the stars, just talking like buddies. Just talking, no noises. No distractions, no nothing, just four buddies talking underneath the stars. And sometimes we don't even talk. We just sit there and, again, we watch the world wake up. We listen for everything, and it's just something that you can't get from your living room. No, I, I Unless you turn on that. a screensaver. Yeah. But, but like, why not just gather with your four buddies in your, your living room and hunt ducks there? I mean, you're on your own property. If, uh, the challenge. I like the challenge. I love the challenge. You got to... Okay. Sometimes it doesn't work out. We've okay. had the goose egg... Many a times. I did four hunts last week, and I didn't even fire a shot last weekend. Okay, so it's not always I was away from the family guaranteed. for th yeah. three and a half days. I didn't even fire a shot for three days. But, but I'm, I'm going to push you on your backyard here because six hours is a lot of time. I mean, it you is. already said you had to kiss your family goodbye. You, you know, right? I mean, it's a six-hour drive there, a six-hour drive yes. back. I mean, it just seems like it would be a lot simpler to do it in your living room. It would be a lot simpler. Uh, I don't know if my wife would like it. Well, what, if, what if you built a special garage? What if you build a special garage and you reinforce the walls so you know shots not going to go blowing out? Why not just hunt for ducks there? Invite I, your buddies I, over, sit there, and just wait for ducks to come. If I can get them there, I'd love to. 
Yeah, it would be great. Like, right? right? Yeah. If have, I could get him there, I'd love to. Have you ever seen ducks in your garage? I have never uh, I've seen not alive ducks in my garage. <laughs> 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 like, like in about an hour when there's just going to be feathers everywhere. So, so what I'm hearing from you is that at some base level, you have to go to where the ducks go. Yes. The ducks don't come to you. The ducks don't come to you. you I, we have to attract them somehow. Okay. Okay. Yes. You've got to go where they want to go, and then you kind of poise yourself to, to attract them yes. to you or something like that. Yes. But fundamentally, the ducks don't come walking into your living room. The ducks don't come walking across your garage. You don't go to abandoned parking lots around here because you probably don't see a lot of ducks. Right? Never, never seen right? them. No. You don't go to like shopping malls. I mean, you don't really see ducks there nope. you know, or anything like that. Nope. Okay, you've got to go to places that you know ducks like to go. Yes. Okay, that's what we're hearing from a certified official duck hunter yes. who's actually got a live one to prove it in his you I know, don't have a live tr- one. Oh, I guess a dead one. I, ho- I, hope, yeah. he's yeah, I hope he's not alive. If he's yeah, alive, some, there's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's like the reckoning part yes. two, you know, yes. Revenge of the Duck. All right. Yes. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Give Kyle a hand, all right? <laughs> don't miss what he said. Translate. How many of you passively sit back in your home, about your life, going to the places that you want to go, wondering and waiting if the Holy Spirit's going to blow on you? The wind blows wherever it pleases. I assure you, it does. But that should not lead you to believe that there aren't predictable patterns. That there aren't places where the Holy Spirit tends to hang out more and promises to show himself. You want the Spirit of God in your life, there's places to go find him. And it goes beyond passively sitting back, just hoping he hits you someday in the right way. I mean, it can happen. The Spirit might just show up. He can do it. The Spirit works when and where He pleases. That's a classic theological line. He can do it. A duck can walk across my living room. It can happen. But why not seek it out? Why not seek Him out in the places and ways He promises to swim and fly? Are you with me? And are you ready for a really boring answer to where those places are? Let me share it with you today. Because the Holy Spirit has promised to work and manifest in some very specific ways. And here's the biggest. The Word of God. When you hear it, when you read it, when you memorize it and meditate upon it, when you think about it and talk about it and share it and discuss it. Do you know that God himself says, yeah, I like to kind of hang out there. I like to swim there. And you don't even need a call to attract me. Are you looking for the spirit of God in your life, his wisdom and his way? 
his interface by which he'll manifest himself. You'll find him in that place, and I tell you, you will, because he promises to be there, whether you feel it or not. It's where he promises to be. I'll tell you another. It's even more boring. The church calls it sacraments. Something like baptism. Where the Spirit of God says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to work in that. You can count on it. I don't really see it. It doesn't look like anything more than some kid crying while his eyes get filled with water. Or some grown-up gets all wet. He says, I'll work through that. Why? I don't know. It's where the Holy Spirit likes to fly. He just does communion. When we share that, like, piece of styrofoam that they call bread and lousy cheap wine. God works in stuff like that. He does. It might not look impressive. It might not have any kind of sense of glory about it. But he says, I'll swim in that stream. I'll fly in that place. When we repent and confess our sins to God and hear words of forgiveness spoken over us, God says, I'll work in that. There's power in that. My spirit is there in that. It's attached to that. It's in church. Places like Fellowship of Faith, in small groups and house churches and micro groups where twos or threes are gathering in his name. Jesus says, there I'll be. You can count on it. He's promised it. You can count on it as much as he's promised you eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and blessing in eternity. There's really no mystery to finding the Spirit of God. It's almost like the ducks coming up to Kyle going, hey, I'm going to be here next Tuesday. Come find me. And how often do we spend days trolling around, looking in fields, wondering and waiting, will he show up? When he's promised, here you'll find me. Yeah. Finding where the spirit rolls, that's easy. Meeting him in that place, discerning his will. Let him produce fruit for you there. And far more than specific answers to all the the specific questions that we have. Let God produce fruit through your life and know that that's the Spirit's hand upon it. Kind of make sense? All right. Let's pray. Lord God, we invite your spirit. We invite your spirit into me. You've promised to be in this place, to be in your word, to be where we gather in your name. And maybe we're just too blind to see you. Maybe we're just too angry 
to realize it. Maybe we're, we're too distracted. Maybe we're not asking the right questions. Maybe, 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 well, God, well, you know us better than we know ourselves. It's our plight. But thank you for coming to us in it. What I pray, O oh Lord, is that you do your work among us, bearing fruit, showing your fruit, and that we would seek to partner with that, to live in that, to pursue that when we wrestle through the thousand choices we have to make, the existential crises we find ourselves in and all the rest. Spirit of God, fill us, we pray. Amen.